Good morning, everybody, and happy Mother's Day to every mother that's out there. What a wonderful day today is, Sunday. I love Mother's Day, and I love Father's Day, too. Those are great days, because you know what? Without that mother and without that father, none of us would be here. So celebrate your mom. Tell her you love her. And if she's not around, like my mom's not around, think about the memories and the good times and the things you used to do on, on Mother's Day and smile. And I know every mom and every dad isn't the best in the world. Things happen. I get that. But understand, you are who you are. And you're here because your parents are the ones that brought you here. So this is the Money Matters Show. And we'll do a two-hour show here. We've been doing this for 33 years, a little over 33 years. We started in 1990. We bring to you the information about what's going on. We talk about the markets. We talk about what influences the markets. We talk about the politics, the geopolitics, the, the, the foreign politics. that all have something to do because we're a global nation. And we try to give you an insight because not only are we financial planners, we're also money managers. We actually do the portfolios of how we're taking it and investing it. I think it's good information. It's obviously uh, been working very well, and, and we've been planning a lot for a lot of people. And the best part about that is they feel good when they leave here. So this is the Money Matters Show, and as you know, it's brought to you by Greenberg Financial Group. Greenberg Financial Group is both the Registered Investment Advisory and a broker-dealer registered with the SEC, members of FINRA and members of SIPC. On this show, as everything does, we, everything we talk about has risk. Our opinions have risk. Our ideas have risk. Products have risk. Strategies have risk. Understand the risk. There's a, some things have a lot of risk. Some things have less risk. Some things look like they don't have risk, and they turn out to be risky. Some things look like they have a lot of risk and turn out to be not too risky. So... Really understand how you're investing. But the biggest way and the best way to always reduce risk is by allocation. Never put too much in just one company. Don't put too much in one industry. Don't put too much in one sector. Don't put too much in uh, one, one part of the markets. And you'll survive. You'll get through it all. And it's getting a little boring right now. I know that. The markets have kind of just done nothing. Sitting there, going back and forth. You know, not a lot of movement. I mean, basically 3,800 to 4,200 is where we've been all, all year. Uh, we had another down week in the Dow of 1%. We had uh, S&P down about 0.3%. NASDAQ up 0.4%. Uh, and it just keeps hanging out. The Dow is up a half a percent for the year. Uh, and the S&P is up 7. And the NASDAQ's up 17. But here's the interesting one. The equal weighted S&P. That means... The Apples, Microsoft, the big, large companies don't get any extra weighting. They get the same weighting as the 500 stock, the smaller companies. And guess what? They're only up 0.2%, which means they haven't made really any money this year. The good news is that bonds have uh, uh, been paying good interest, and interest rates haven't been rising. They've actually been staying still and coming down a little bit, even though the Fed has raised Fed funds rate five, uh, uh, to 5%. But that's given the yields that you're getting a steady income each month, each quarter, however they're paying, six months, and that's good. A lot of them pay monthly, a lot of them pay quarterly, um, but that's what you want to see 
out of your bonds, short-term bonds, obviously you're paying more than high, high, uh, longer-term bonds. That will change at some time. Uh, rates will probably maintain um, up here f- for this year and maybe look to be coming down from the market side, but not from the Fed. I don't, unless there's a black swan event, unless we fall off the cliff, I don't see the Fed going ahead and changing their mind. Uh, we did have them come out this week. We're going to talk about it with the crew. But they um, essentially uh, raised the quarter. But they're kind of looking at maybe data. The confusing part is, what are they really looking at, you know? Does that the markets go up in the morning because, you know, the CPI number was up 4.9%, not 5%. And next thing you know, by the end of the day, they sold into it. So smart money... Seems to be wanting to sell right now, and the uh, the, the uh, shorter term money, the people that are just waiting for the Fed to change and betting on that, they seem to get caught. And they're the ones in the futures in the morning that are actually trying to move the markets higher, and then they they either sell out or they get or they have losses by the end of the day. So as we move forward here. There's a lot of headwinds, a lot of headwinds. The big one is the budget. Of course, we are going to pay the bills. Of course, we have to pay our bills. And of course, we're not going to default on our bills. If we do, it's the stupidest thing ever. There's so many different ways to go ahead and pay the bills. The problem I'm having is why not negotiate now? Why didn't you negotiate last week, last month, last four months after we pushed it down, pushed it back? Why didn't they get together? Why don't the Democrats and the Republicans get together? And I don't want to hear, well, because you know why. No, I don't want to hear that anymore. They are putting our country, the United States of America, at risk. Because we cannot just keep paying these bills without affecting us. We just can't. We cannot keep spending more and more and more. Especially when we're just spending and giving away and not getting anything back in productivity. I get it. We need infrastructure. Let's spend money there. It creates jobs. Let's do things that help our economy grow. These reparations that we want to give out in California, ridiculous idea. It's not going to pass, but it gets news headlines. It gets, and all it really does is divides people. It makes one side of the people so upset, and the other people saying, yeah, I deserve this. And everyone's saying, well, why do you deserve it? You know, now I'm hearing that in New York, they want to give uh, all new babies $3,500 in baby bonds. Where's this money come from? Who's going to do this money? We have to stop it with this. We need to start looking at our, our social services and figure out how we can put people to work and stop giving them money. We've raised the minimum wage. Corporations, everybody's paying way over minimum wage. And the quality of work has gone down. We need to change that. Here's the biggest problem I have. 
right now, right today. They keep saying the Republicans are doing doing a poor job because they just got to know they just have to raise the debt ceiling. They shouldn't even talk about anything else but just raising the debt ceiling and stop saying we have to negotiate and everything else. We'll negotiate afterwards. That's the same thing Pelosi said about reading the tax ceiling. Sign it, we'll read it later. All the bills. We got to stop that. That's no way to go ahead and build in a, a country. It's all these people sticking everything they want in there and get what they want. You know how they negotiate? At the end, I need this for 100 grand. I need this for 500,000. I need a million here. I'll give you my vote at the end if you go ahead and do it. We don't need that. We need fiscally astute Congress people that know how to negotiate and compromise. Compromise means both sides leave the table unhappy. That's what it means. So now we have this debt ceiling, which is going to go higher, but no really leverage against budgets. They talk about, well, well, let's do it under the budget reconciliation package. Well, you know what happens there? They don't ever get to balance the budget. They talk about, oh, we're cutting spending on the budget because the spend cutting less on the increases. We have to stop increasing and decreasing. But how are we going to do this? We're going to raise the debt ceiling. And now we have how many million people that are going to come across the border starting this weekend? I know they use the rhetoric, oh, the borders are closed. But then on the other side, the humanitarians go, oh, we can't do that. They have to come over. And families have to stay together. And they're being vetted. No, they're not. We know they're not. This is why some of these crimes are coming. They're still coming illegally. And we're doing nothing in Congress to change that. They use lip service about immigration reform. Stop using lip service and actually come up with a plan. A compromise plan. And a plan doesn't mean everyone that comes across the border right now becomes an American. Look at what we need. Look at what we can do. With the money we're going to spend on these people that are coming across to house them and feed them and educate them, the kids... It's going to be billions and billions and billions of dollars. We're going to send them to states who are going to complain they can't keep them because they have no way of doing this, and then they're going to want to get more money from the government. They're going to call it a state of an emergency. Yet down here we call it a state of emergency when they're coming across Yuma and, 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 and through Nogales and everything else. No big deal. Texas. No, we don't, no don't worry about it. We have now spending so many troops, which I think is finally doing something to try to stop, but how are they going to do it? You hear all different types of rumors. The bottom line is the wave of people are coming. I just hope that it's not a disaster down there when you've got hundreds of thousands of people that just can't take it anymore and they just rush through 
and things happen that you don't even want to think about. Where are they all going to go? If we're going to do it right, and I'm not saying we don't need immigration, we shut the border down. Just shut it down. We allow people to come in who actually ask for asylum from where they are. Especially the countries that are not as bad as some other countries. Go to the U.S. Embassy in the countries you're from. Start applying. If you're coming to the border and that's going to happen, they shut it down. Now let's take the money we're giving all these IRS agents and go ahead and start hiring more judges and people that can bring these people across and put them in areas across the country that we have a lot of different places. We don't have them all just at the border. And assimilate them into Americans. Find out what kind of occupation they can do. Are they accountants? Are they business people? Are they lawyers? Are they doctors? Are they dentists? Are they agriculture? Are they hospitality? Which a lot of them are going to be agriculture and hospitality, and that's fine too. But now we assimilate them into the American way of life. We teach them English. We teach them history. We tell them, if you want to be here, you're going to be proud to be here, and you're going to go ahead and pay your taxes, and you're going to pay for your health care, and you're going to do the things that Americans do because we're not going to carry the burden. We're going to carry the burden up front. Now, this can be a system. Work with the corporations of America and the agricultural corporations of America to go ahead and put money towards this, and they bring in their trainers to train the people and find out who they have. Maybe it's a six-month deal. Maybe it's a year. doesn't matter. It's better than sending them off with nothing and telling them your court date is in seven years, eight years, ten years, and they're just always scared they're going to be deported. They're always afraid something's going to happen. They're not, they're not contributing to our society, and bad things happen when people are hungry, and bad things happen when people don't have money. Turn it around. Make it a job center for technology, for agriculture, for, for, for hospitality, for doctors, dentists, like whatever it is, manufacturers. Let the corporations help out. Give them a tax deduction by donating the money and the people there and make a school out of it. Learn English. Have all the kids learn English. They have to learn English. This is America. We don't need to have everything in so many different languages. When I go ahead and go to a country I don't know, and they don't speak English, I do what everyone else does. I take out the app, and I try to communicate with them. That's what we can do. Start getting them assimilated here. Now our money is going to pay off in the long run. Because if we're sitting there with all these jobs, we're at 3.4% uh, unemployment and we have a ton of job openings, something's wrong. I do not know what we're going to do when we have a debt ceiling 
and a debt of $32 trillion, $32 trillion in debt, and we keep raising the debt ceiling with all the illegal immigrants coming across that we have to house. And it's a damn shame that we're going to go ahead and spend these billions of dollars on people that were not born here, that are not Americans, while we leave our inner city people lacking the effort, the education, the food, the shelter that they need. Think about that. The people coming across the border are going to have better shelter, food, education than the people in South Chicago, in Atlanta, in New York, in California, San Francisco, and all the homeless people that would just keep letting us look like a third world country sitting all over the place. This costs money. If we're spending all this money, how are we going to go ahead and ever balance the budget? How are we going to stop spending? How are we going to get the debt down? That's what I want to know. They always talk about the way you get it is you grow the population. More people pay taxes. So if we're bringing illegal immigrants in, let's give them a way to earn their way to citizenship. 10 years, 12 years, 15 years, I don't care, depending on their age. I'm not giving it right away, and I'm not giving them voting rights right away. But if they earn it, it's fine. The system is messed up now. And, and, and the people that go through the system to become legal U.S. citizens hate the fact that we just let the illegals come in and do whatever they want, and we're paying for them. We are paying for them. And what's more horrible, you listen to the White House administration and all the Democrats and all the left talk about paying your fair share in taxes. Well, we know 40, 50% of people don't even pay hardly any taxes, if none at all. So the burden is going to be on the people that are successful. And if you don't feel slighted because you've worked hard, you've taken risk, you put your money where your mouth was, you've done the savings, you've done all those things, and every single month it seems like this administration's coming up ways to take money from you to give to somebody else who didn't earn it. If you got good credit because you didn't overspend, you have good credit because you live within your means, you got good credit because you paid your bills on time, you are now asked to pay more on a mortgage to give it to the people that have not been this prudent. That's socialism. Until the day I die, I will fight against socialism. Because down deep, everybody wants capitalism because they all want to make money until they are lazy, they're mediocre, and they don't want to do the things that it takes to get out there. Let's bring in some hardworking people. Let's train them up. That money at least can see a return on our investment. Housing illegal immigrants, feeding them, and putting them in better places than our American citizen is not a return on our investment. I promise you, the blue states are going to go in an uproar when they, everybody starts getting shipped there. 
because there's no way Arizona, Texas can handle the influx that's going to come across this border. And we shouldn't. And why should our money do it? If our money's going someplace, then we should be able to shut down the border ourselves. And I have news for you. 85%, 80% of the people in America agree with me, whether they're right or left, it doesn't matter. They agree. The problem is the media and the White House, they keep saying all this stuff. You can say it all day long uh, 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 up there in the White House. You can say it all day long in all those departments. You can say it all day long that the border is, is not open. But until you actually stop it, it's open. All you have to do is turn on the TV you're going to see him swimming across the river. What do you mean it's not open? They're going to go to places that don't have the fence because you don't want a fence. This costs money. It is so much money, it's unbelievable. We are living in a world right now that I don't recognize. I don't. Work hard, get less. Do nothing, get more. Handouts. Gifts. For doing nothing. That is not the world that I live in. And now, I am ashamed of what's going in in New York. Growing up in New York, we were tough. We took care of people. We never let people pick on people. Everyone had each other's back. Now, we got this guy, Bragg, in Manhattan, who's turning everything upside down. If you're a victim, you're wrong. If you're the criminal, you're right. We have reasons for you. Let's think about that. That Marine, that poor Marine and their family, for helping all those people on that subway, is being brought up put in handcuffs on secondary manslaughter. This, the person, unfortunately, did die, okay? But he was on a two-year, for two years he had an arrest warrant out. Nobody did anything. My other question I ask everybody, why did the Marine have to do it? Where were the subway cops? Oh, that's right, they defunded that. There's not enough of them around. So why don't we just let innocent people on the subway and their families and their kids get the hell beat out of them, or worse, get killed, and then you arrest the guy, and then you leave him off because of mental health or that. 44 times he was arrested and let off. Why isn't the people of New York in an uproar for this Marine other than the other's basically protesting for the guy, Jennings, who passed away. I'm not happy the guy passed away. I'm not happy that happened. I am happy that nobody else got hurt. I am happy that somebody stood up for the rest of the people on that subway. And I know there was others there too. I'm happy those kids didn't get hurt. What did he have to do? He had to go ahead and kill someone or hurt someone or stab someone or shoot someone or punch somebody like he did that older woman and broke her orbital in her cheek and her eye and still got out 
after being arrested. Is that what he had to do? I'm not saying he probably didn't have mental health problems. I agree with that. But why are we doing something about that? If you want to clean that up, then get him off the streets. Get him into housing. Get him someplace. Okay? Give him the help they need. I don't have a problem with that. I do have a problem. You let him roam in the streets. Making the subway is very, very uh, scary. Okay? And then going ahead and attacking and arresting the person who is saving other people's lives. This is not the America that I understand. This is not New York where I grew up. Welcome back, everybody, to the Money Matters Show. As you know, we always appreciate you listening. If for some reason you miss a, a t- part of it, the whole thing, want other people to listen, remember, we're always on iHeartRadio everywhere in the world. But we also have podcasts. You can always come back and listen to one of the podcasts. Uh, go to our website, uh, YouTube, and you can pick up not only our radio shows, you can pick up our, uh, our TV shows that we're doing. Uh, we also do the radio shows on Saturday, three uh, 30-minute shows, which are a little different than the other ones. Those are more uh, more educational, more focused. This is more like uh, you get to know us. <laughs> I missed, uh, missed a, bit, a little bit of your monologue there. It's, this is one of the most important days of the entire year. Because and I want to wish all of the mothers out there happy Mother's Day. Yeah. Did you think I forgot that? I don't think so. I started off at the Did very you beginning. Did you start off happy Mother's Day? The happy Mother, the Mother's Day edition of the money show. Yeah, they are they are the glue that holds this whole thing together, and we are in awe of all of you. If men were in charge of having babies, there would be no babies. It's that simple. Yep. Happy Mother's <laughs> Day, Mom. Yep. Yep. Happy California, Mother's Day. But still happy Mother's Day. You got to do, Todd. You got a mother, right? Yeah, I said Happy Mother's Day, but I wouldn't expect those old ears to hear them. So uh. yeah, well, we—that's because my mother's no longer here, nor is Dean. So thanks for rubbing it in. Uh, really I didn't nice. rub that in; I rubbed your ears in. But you can. She's, she's not here <laughs> physically. Now they're picking on my ears. But there's so many things that I do that it reminds me of her. Yeah, she uh, yeah. she left a good impression. Uh, a, a big headline this week, of course, uh, and we talked about this two months ago, that the closer we get to the debt ceiling uh, deadline. The, the more noise we're going to hear, the more the press is going to pick up on it. Now with earnings season winding down, uh, CNBC is going to pick up on it. We're going to start hearing about it nonstop. And why, why did they cancel Friday? Not, they met Wednesday. Their, their, their lackeys all met on Thursday, and they were supposed to re-meet on Friday, and they don't. And you got to take it down to the 11th hour, Dean. Now that we're not, And we're not really sure where the 11th hour is. Yeah, I, it's I, like I, this theatrics of it. They need it. It's absolutely time. drama. Well, truthfully... I think they just said, you know what? Screw that. Let's just have a three-day weekend. <laughs> that could be. We know that. We know that since 1960, this has happened 78 times, and uh, they've raised the debt ceiling how many times? God, 78 times. 78 out of 78, huh? Okay. Uh, they don't do anything about it. When Schumer gets up there and says, they just got to raise this, the, the debt ceiling, and then we'll sit down in the budgetary uh, in the budget reconciliation. Uh, uh, group and and then we'll fix it, Dave. How many times did they never fix the budget? Never. They never do. Anything. So how about seventy eight? <laughs> <laughs> Seems to be a magic number. One thing, yeah, uh, I know there's a lot of nervousness out there. There's a lot of people that are concerned. Um, watch the bond market and watch the dollar. Neither one of them are showing any signs of being the least bit concerned at this point. Uh, so they believe it'll be seventy nine out of seventy nine. Uh, times they raise the debt ceiling but as in the past it has always come down to the 11th hour 
I'm not predicting. I'm just saying that the odds are statistically 100% that they'll raise the debt. They're going to raise the debt ceiling. They don't raise the debt. So just pay the bills. Okay. But start negotiating. Right. That's what the demand should be. Right. And it's not Biden's bills. You know? And it's not Trump's bills. It's right. bills from a lot of different people. But, but Congress the, has a hand in it as well. If they don't start doing it, how many billions of dollars are going to Ukraine? How many billions of dollars are we going to have to put in now uh, with Title 42 now gone? Right. How many people are going to be coming across the border over the next six months with no idea what they're going to do with them? Except transport them to upstate New York, put them in the, in the Midwest, put them in the, you know, uh, wherever they put them, people are going to complain. I had no idea everything south of the border was such a, a, a cesspool, right? I have friends vacationing there. What are they thinking? I think for every person that comes up here, we should just take somebody that hates America and move them to the, where they were. I like it. Let's do an exchange program. Make a little bit of a swap. Yeah, like a little that. exchange program. That That's would a good work. idea. That would work. Mark has been acting like it's May, drifting lower, which has been the, the history. May, again, being one of two months out of the year that over the last 50 years has not shown an average gain. Uh, I think we're, uh, when the debt ceiling uh, thing is resolved, Dean, and again, we all think it will be, I, I think that we'll get a pop on that, a pretty good pop. But it's just like this week with the CPI number came in a little weaker. We had a pop of, what, 35 uh, points on the S&P. By the end of the day, it was down. Right, and then they, but because they started talking about the core CPI. Core CPI was uh, 5.5, right? It, it didn't budge. So, so that was the concern. Yeah, there. and the core CPI takes out food and energy, which they, is right, just takes the out food. Thanks, Dylan. Thank you. Which is really right, surprising right. to me because you would think we didn't see the gas increase. Um, uh, well, the, you know, oil increased a lot, and then obviously it's fallen off a cliff since. Oil increased a lot in April. Right. Well, you would think that CPI would show up, and it didn't. What's really interesting is oil prices uh, on Friday were $70 a barrel. The last time oil prices were $70 a barrel, gasoline was 3 bucks. And it's still 480. It hasn't budged. Oil has fallen from 82 dollars to 70 dollars, and gasoline hasn't budged. And so, knowing this, what do you do about it? Does everybody just say, "I'm not going to get gasoline"? Yeah, <laughs> you know, well, and it's coming into the summer driving season. They know yeah. that the demand is there, but other parts of the country aren't paying what we're paying, Dean. I know uh, we're we're paying California prices all of a sudden. And Tucson, because we're on the pipeline, used to get really good gas so prices. So should we be uh, Phoenix, talking to you got a bit Katie Hobbs? <laughs> See, Katie, what's going on here? She's a governor. Why doesn't she do something about it? She vetoes things. That's what she does. <laughs> she's done a great job of vetoing things, right? Everything. About half the bills that have been passed, she's vetoed. They're like a new record. She's really, really doing well at the vetoing thing. Um, uh, housing has shown no weakness, really, because... Uh, Todd, inventory. we've talked about this. Well, we've talked about this, th th that people don't want to sell. There's just no inventory. There's no inventory. Because you're sitting there with a 2 or 3 or 4% mortgage, and if you sell, you've got to buy something else and get a 65 7% mortgage. You just don't want to do it. You would have to get half the house to get a double the payment. I mean, to get the same payment, you have to get half the house because you're getting double the interest rate. Right, and you kind of scratch your head. You're looking at the home builder stocks hitting new highs, but that's really simple. Either you buy new or go home, right? Yeah, and I was talking with someone in the home building, and they were they were saying that new new homes are right, right around where existing uh, resales are now at. So normally new homes, they sell at a premium because you come with, it's new, right? And so 
existing homes, they sell a little less. But right now, they're equally because there's no inventory. But think about the prices they got on all those homes that they started building a year ago. Okay? And and um, so people bought those houses at a nice high price. Yes, they probably went down a little bit. But that's why they're making so much money, all these home builders. You should know that. Todd, your whole family is in the building business. Yeah, what do you think my source was? <laughs> um, but yeah, um, that's exactly what... She, and, you know, they're saying that right now new homes are equally um, expensive as existing homes. And so everyone's just coming. And I heard there's a there's a lot of um, up-and-coming communities that are very cheap for people that are um, not affording the current ones, like $200,000 houses. Um, KB Homes trying to create a couple of those new starter homes out of Valencia and I-10. Things like that because it's very the, – the cheaper you get, the more first-time home buyers. But – I'm actually absolutely shocked at the prices of homes in Tucson. They're I have a expensive. A, a, I have a, a, a physician friend whose daughter is also a physician, and she's moving to Tucson to take over his practice. And so they were out house hunting, and they found a house that they really liked, and they went ahead and bought it. and uh, And we went to dinner with him, and he said, "Yeah, they bought it in 2017 for X," and he said, "We bought it in 2023 at 2X. It literally had doubled." Yeah, wow. Uh, this is a, a, a very hot community in the foothills. It's a small gated community. Uh, but the, where the prices, I think, probably have done better than anywhere else. But I'm, I'm absolutely shocked when I see prices down around the university, seven, eight, nine hundred thousand dollars $900,000 for small homes that need to be fixed up. Yeah, Sam Hughes neighborhood, though, by the university. Yeah, Those houses yeah. tend to go for a lot because of the history and like they're popular. older. Yeah. Popular neighborhood, but I'm absolutely shocked at the prices. Really, and even the price of my own home. I'm just when I look at Zillow. Yeah, I mean, that's going everywhere. But Tucson's definitely high because yeah. all the people coming from California it's still the same thing. They come in and they'll pay cash over. It's and you notice that here we are, the middle of May, and the traffic is just brutal. And something that's completely new is the build to rent side of of business. There's companies that are truly building houses only for rent. They're not saying they're going to sell them. Like it's truly, they're just there for rent i think we talked about that about six months ago on, yeah. on the show and uh, uh, the neighborhoods yeah that were going to be just re- all rental houses a lot of them are about to be finished for the and then they're going to start entering the market and despite the federal reserve and despite cpi interest rates continue to edge lower uh mortgage rates drop to um drop for the second straight week 10-year treasury 3.45 that there, really something very interesting going on todd you pointed this out to me the two-year treasury now, the 10-year treasury is 3.45. The two-year treasury is 4%. The one-year treasury is nearly 5%. Yeah. The one-month treasury is over 5%. Almost 5.5%. Yes. So so right now, if you, the, the short term is a much higher yield. Uh, and, of course, the reason for that is I think there's going to be a slowing down the road. Dave, 1981, bond markets were 21%. Yep. Okay? Yep. Municipals were 14, 15%. Treasuries, 30 year treasuries were 15%. Nobody wanted it because it was going to keep going higher and higher. Yep. So they all put the money in the money market funds, right? Eventually they went the other way and the smart money was stuck in the 30 year treasuries and did they make a ton of money? And that's going to be a, the case again at some point here. I remember in that, at that period, Dean, they had a 17.5% for a two and a half year CD. You could lock it in for up to 10 years, 17 and a half. But they all, most everybody locked it in for two and a half because they knew it was going to be higher in two and a half years. Exactly. And that's why we do our ladders. Yes. And that's why we do our planning. And that's why we do what, Dylan, for people that are listening? We do that complimentary free financial plan, and there's no strings attached or anything. We, we just come in, we fill out the financial plan, see where you're at, and we try and help you 
make any changes if you need to. We yeah. have about seven of them this week. We did. We <laughs> yeah, you guys were nonstop. We I know. Nonstop. Well, that's good. It means yeah. people want help, and we're willing to help them and show them what's going on. All right, we'll be right back. This is Money Matters Show. We do appreciate you always listening. Say it's only a paper book. All right, we're back. It's the Money Matters Show. Dave and Dylan and Todd and myself. You know what? We make a good team. This is a good team. We finally put together together what I consider a team, not just for the short run, but for the long run. And a real team. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. Uh, the uh, talking again about uh, what happened this week. Oil down a dollar fifty. Finish the week at seventy bucks, and uh, keep looking for those gasoline prices to start plummeting at some point. Gold was down three dollars on the week to twenty fourteen. Seems to be kind of stalled out around two thousand. Looking at the dollar, um, the, the dollar's been kind of stalled out as well. Gold priced in dollars and moves inversely to the dollar. A couple of uh, of housekeeping things from last week. We talked last week about lithium. And we wondered uh, uh, how much of the lithium is used in, in cars. And uh, we didn't get a definitive answer, Todd, but we did find out that in 2010, 24% of lithium was used in batteries. And today, 75% is used in batteries. So even if there was a little pickup in computers and flashlights and stuff, I think it's pretty uh, safe to say the majority of lithium that's used in batteries is used in cars. Right. And the reason we were wanting to know that is one of the biggest uh, uh, contracts was with, uh, well, no, I don't know, contract, but it was a, a mandate that China was having that about the EVs, right? And then they, they rescinded that. And so a lot of the EV um, makers in China saw a big drop in their price because of that. Yeah. And I mean, even speaking of that, did you see Tesla had to recall almost all their cars ever made in China? 1.1 million were called for a braking system issue. Yeah, but that's a little misleading because they can do a lot of that with software. Almost all of it. I know, but they still had a recall. No, it's it not quite it's a thing. It's, it's a, a recall, software but they thing. don't have to bring them all in. Yeah, it's crazy. And they, you, they, they recall them. They say you need to go online and do this. Push these two buttons and it'll fix your problem. That's just the first yeah. time I've seen they had to recall all cars. All of them. Yeah. All of them. The, the, uh, but that didn't drop the stock. So well, it still I, dropped about 3% for the week. But Yeah, but it, was, it went up because of uh, Musk. Uh, getting a new CEO in. Well, yeah, yeah, I mean they like that, so they got the ex NBC Universal boom, CEO. Down went. Um, uh, what's her name? It was uh, Linda Picarino. I don't know how yeah, to say she, last I, name, but... I think she's going to do a good job for Twitter. I really do. Yeah, so she'll be taking over soon. I mean, that of course that Tesla investors like that. that may, maybe he's going to spend less time at Twitter now. He's going to be the CTO overseeing software stuff. She's uh, she's going to love the fact it's a private company too. Oh yeah. All right, yeah. she doesn't have to deal with all the other stuff as the CEO. She can go ahead, and, and no one has to worry about what she's getting paid. They don't have to do all this other stuff. And I guarantee you she's going to get a pretty nice bonus package uh, if they turn that around. We're going to spend some time talking about uh, what do you do with the batteries, uh, the uh, batteries. And one of our one of our listeners, Rudy, uh, uh, pointed out that there are companies that are working on that. And, Todd, when we did our research, we also uh, noted that there are companies who are developing ways to recycle car batteries so they don't go into the landfill uh, because right. they're not biodegradable mm-hmm. and so i mean in the perfect world uh before the the uh, initial wave of of uh, batteries wears out uh you've got a technology that can can recycle these right but how does that company make money 
I don't have a clue. Right? I suppose, well, well, they probably how they make the money is they they buy the battery for nothing, and nobody they're just just garbage, right? Right. And then they re- reconfigure it and sell it. They'll make a deal with the government. They'll get billions of dollars to set them <laughs> yeah. up, and then uh, you know it doesn't matter if they make money because the government will keep just letting them have it so they can get rid of the batteries. Uh-huh. The other housekeeping issue we had was the uh, Roth RMD. You want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, essentially with the the Roth RMD, you cannot use your RMD. um, Well, if you take out a distribution from an IRA and put it into your Roth, it cannot be considered an RMD. Right. So the IRS wants you to take your RMD out of your IRA, and then that's it. They don't want you to then put that into the the Roth. So if you had a $100,000 IRA and you had a $5,000 RMD, you cannot take that out and roll it into a Roth. I mean, you can roll it into a Roth. You're not going to get credit for your RMD. So if you wanted to put $5,000 from your $100,000 IRA into a Roth, you could do that. Yeah. Uh, But then you would also have to take another $5,000 uh, as your RMD. Correct. Just yeah, and that's just, if you're taking it and it's not counted as your RMD, that's just called a Roth conversion, which you can do. Right. You will have to pay the taxes on the distribution, but then obviously you'll never have to pay taxes again if it's in the Roth, but you will have to take the extra RMD. And the reason we discuss that is because if someone's, you know, has going to have some longevity and they're in the early 60s or something, they roll that over, they pay the taxes now because we know taxes are going up. Which means when the markets are lower, it's the best time to do the conversion, pay your taxes, and then when everything grows back, um, you don't ever have to pay taxes on it again. Right, and we That's are just playing- part of the financial plan. It, it's not for everybody. It's for those that are, that that get uh, go down in a lower tax bracket and are able to do it, and then they obviously can take the money out later. And we continue to play defense, Dylan, on our on our managed accounts, right? We do. Yeah, we think there's a, a slowing period coming here. Um, the Fed's trying to slow the economy. They will succeed. They will. And, I mean, they came in at 4.9% year over year, but their goal is still 2%. They haven't wavered from that, so they've still got about 3% inflation to go down. We're a long way from... Exactly. <laughs> so, and they're going to fight. 2%. They're, they haven't they're wavered They're going to get it. there one way or the other because they're going to just change the numbers until they do. <laughs> I mean, the unemployed, the, uh, the unemployment numbers and all, and the, uh, the job creation numbers and all that, you see how much they redid them last week? And it's crazy. So eventually they're going to get there. The fact is, just be common sense reality. We all know. We all feel where we are. We can't have something really bad happen because our economy could be shaky right now. You know what I mean? If we have some type of black swan event. But I keep saying it's not going to come from here. It's going to come outside of here. But the banks are not done. We are not done with the banks. And, you know, last week I was listening to a guy that was, that's all he was talking about is bank math. And he, and he kept saying, if you have to bring in deposits now and pay them at 4%, and all you can do is get 4%, you're not making any money. Right. If you're not making any money, you don't have the capital you need. And if interest rates go high and those bonds go down, it's what? But what he was talking about a lot was all the bonds these banks invested in in 2021 and, tw- and 22 sure. before rates came up. Yep. They are cut by 20 30%, and the only way you get that back up is by bringing in more deposits and now those deposits you got to pay for at a much higher rate. You do. You than do. what you're bringing in. And we saw that's one reason we saw the regional bank ETF, Dean, was something I'm watching pretty closely, um, down another 6% this week. It didn't hit uh, the previous week's low, 
but he got pretty close. And the previous week's low was a uh, was a three year low. And of course, the question every Friday is, well, who's going to go this weekend? You know, mm-hmm. which bank's going to Pack West is going to fall? Meme stock. It looks like it's being halted every other minute. Pack West is. I mean, they were down. They went down twenty percent on Thursday because it came out that they had ten percent less deposits the week before. So people aren't wanting to go in these regional banks right now. They're too scared. They want to go to the big ones: J.P. Morgan, Bank of America. <laughs> Right. Taking their deposits there. Right. I, I had a client that's liquidating an estate. He's the trustee of an estate, and, and that's going to end up with about a million, two million, three, and he's got to put it in a bank account so he can write checks to his siblings. And, and I said, make pick a big one. You know, pick one of the majors. Don't, don't be putting that in the regional bank because right. it's not insured. The biggest problem is you got is with businesses yes. that need yes. operational cash. Yep. I mean, you know, people are moving into the money market funds. All right, that you know, before there was a, you feel safe, you don't get paid a lot. You so you get everybody moving billions and trillions of dollars to the money market fund. Now they have to pay that interest on them. Mm-hmm. Then you have to switch it back every time you start writing checks for it. Yeah, it's a real problem. You're right. It's, it's, it's a, a big problem for the banks in the next few quarters. I agree. I agree. And then you're right. And I agree with you 100. It's not over yet. Bitcoin, Todd, any comment? Down 12. percent well, I mean, at, at the end of the day, right now, I think Bitcoin has a better pulse on where the market's going than the actual market does. I think wh- it's gone 12%, and I think that's where the market's headed. So uh, I, I think it's just doing what a risk asset should be doing right now. It should be selling off. We've already had a good run-up. And uh, honestly, I could see Bitcoin down at the $15,000 range because I do think we need some correction here. We see the NASDAQ. It's up 17% year-to-date. That's where all the risky assets are. You see some of these Bitcoin-related as- uh, assets in the NASDAQ just taking off some of them up 100 200 year to date that's not going to last you need some correction in this market and that's probably a predict a little bit more than what has already happened right. I, um, I got a new re- we had a new report last week dean it's been around forever and ever uh believe it or not i didn't know about it it's the sluice report you know about this s-l-o-o-s the sluice report government issues it once a month it's the monthly senior loan officers opinion survey Sluice. And what they do is they survey uh, loan officers from 48 different lending institutions. How's it going? Are you tightening? Are you loosening? What's happening? And, and what it showed in April was that there was some tightening, but nothing extreme at that point in April. And that's, that's going to be a report we're going to be watching mm. because that's going to be an early indicator of, of problems in business, Dean. But the other side of it is, is people aren't going to be getting loans at these rates. Look at what margin rates are up to now. Yeah, margin rates twelve percent. Yeah, eleven, twelve percent. The uh, the uh, the uh, secure uh, the secured loans they were what five six percent. Now they want nine percent on them. Yeah, it's not competitive at all. You wouldn't use that for anything other than I've got a client um, relocating to the to Arizona from uh, Tennessee, and we're using uh, using it for a, a bridge loan. Has a home in Tennessee for sale. Wants to buy a home in in Phoenix. Uh, and we're using it as a bridge loan, but that's the absolute. And the reason we're using it as a bridge loan is because he's getting some deferred compensation from his employer that will allow him to pay that off yeah. come July. So uh, he needed he needed a few hundred thousand dollars for sixty days. And that type of planning is what we offer here at Greenberg Financial. That's something that a lot of money managers they'll only focus on the actual investment portion of the things and say, oh, this is how we manage your money. But do they take the extra step in helping you in, in your everyday life? Yeah. And those type of things that you just you know that example is 
can really only be done when you take into account someone's entire financial situation. They showed up looking for a $400,000 loan and $400,000 cash and $350,000 mortgage and ended up paying cash for the house. Right. So if you have those big life events that are happening, big transitions in life, it's when it really makes sense to come in, especially when it's a free you know, second opinion or complimentary opinion, come in, do the financial plan. See what if you're whatever plan you have right now, make sure that plan is the best decision for you going forward. And we have a lot of individuals and we have a lot of individual plans. We appreciate everybody listening. We'll be right back with the second hour of the Money Mountain Show. Say it's only a Welcome back. You're listening to the second hour of the Money Matters Show. Here with Dean, Dave, and Todd. My name is Dylan. We had a pretty flat week in the markets last week for you those just tuning in. The Dow was down 1%. The S&P was down 0.3%. The Nasdaq was up 0.4%. Small cap, Russell 2000, was down a percent. And the equal weighted S&P 500, which is the RSP, was down 1%. So overall, the market as a whole did a little worse but there are some big companies that did well, like Google and Amazon had great weeks. Google beat revenue. They had ad revenue come in slightly in line with expectations, but down from a year ago. People didn't seem to care. That stock went up about 9% for the week. And interesting enough, did you ever know how much they bought YouTube for back in like 2012? Not a clue. $1.65 billion. Do you know what they make on revenue now from YouTube ads in a three-month period? I'm curious. $1.65 billion. In a three-month period? Three-month period. So they make four times what they paid in yep. revenue. So I'd say that's a pretty good That's a pretty good investment. Have. Yep. And they're killing it. It's all the ad revenue. Even though these tech companies are getting a little nervous with the recession coming up, companies are going to start tightening their marketing budget. They're thinking they're going to lose ad revenue. Facebook said it. Microsoft said it. Apple said it. Amazon, Google, all them. Kind of nervous about that. And definitely it's going to hit Google hard. I got YouTube. It's going to hit Meta hard too. The uh, the the tech stocks have completely been carrying the water this this uh, this yeah, year. Yeah, and I think something that a lot of people have not thought about is because they see high interest rates, so they assume interest rates have not come down. But if you actually look at the bond yield, the ten year, we know as you've been reporting, Dave, it has been dropping. And so when that interest rate drops, that propels earnings. I mean, not earnings estimates, but stock price estimates. Because the price of a company's worth is based on the interest rate. And most analysts use the 10-year. It's a good, in the next 10 years, what's our my discount rate? So they use the 10-year treasury rate. As that rate decreases, the value of the stock or the value of the company increases in their models. So that's why we see a vastly different um, performance in the NASDAQ compared to S&P. Because NASDAQ has more tech-related um, riskier assets. And those riskier tech-related are based on growth. And growth has a huge um, impact on the interest rate. Lower interest rates, you can have a lot more growth. Higher interest rates, you have that less growth. This is why the NASDAQ performed so bad last year, right? Interest rates went up so fast. But this year, we've actually seen that 10-year drop pretty significantly over the course of the last five months, which has helped propel tech higher. And it, it's amazing with the Fed raising interest rates uh, uh, for, uh, what, 13 times or something, that, that interest rates are moving lower. That's right. not working. It's not working. Right. I mean, the Fed raising the discount rate is, is just simply penalizing the banks. It's not, it's not helping at all. It's a great uh, way to put it. It's not, it's not slowing the economy at all anymore. Uh, we don't care what the Fed's doing. It's a, I don't remember ever a time like this where, where it just didn't matter what the Fed did. I mean, raised the discount rate from six to, which is currently six, um, uh, or five, 
currently five point two five. It's gone up so fast that I've I've lost track. Yeah, the range five. You could raise it from five to six. I don't know that it would make much difference. And like you said, um, in previous episodes, economists think that when you have that discount or the federal funds rate above the rate of inflation, that's when you really see some significant decreases in right. That's when you start to see inflation sell, and that's where we're at. We're just we just hit it. We just hit it. We just got uh, inflation. It'll be interesting to see over the next two three months. Does that actually take place? See if the inflation actually accelerates to the downside, right? Which would be good. Uh, all you need to know about the market is is the uh, Nasdaq is up seventeen percent for the year, and the equal weighted S and P five hundred, which has all five hundred stocks uh, given the same amount of of weight, is up two tenths of a percent. So seventeen point four versus point two, right? And it tells you that if you have those four or five tech stocks that are carrying the water here, you're doing really well. But here's the problem. A balanced account, and most people have balanced accounts, right. uh, will be 60% equities and 40% fixed income. You're not going to have a tremendous amount of exposure to technology stocks in a balanced account because technology stocks, by their nature, are aggressive and volatile. Well, and that's especially like you won't be necessarily exposed by buying Apple outright, by buying Amazon outright. You'll be exposed in different ways through ETFs like the SPY, which follows the S&P 500, QQQ, which follows the NASDAQ. But you're not going to have a ton of your equity in there because you are balanced. So you'll get exposure to it, but you're not going to get the 100% return if like Google went up 10%. You're not going to get that 10%, but you will be exposed to it in different ways. But like you're saying, I mean, if you're not, if you're a balanced account, it's too risky to put you just in Google. Yeah, if you were to, if you, I, I think my point where I'm going with this is that if you have a balanced account, and here you're getting your April statements, and your the S and P 500 equal weighted is up two tenths of a percent. Interest rates have fallen some, so bonds are probably on average up one to two percent. So if you've got a sixty forty portfolio through the end of April, you're up about one percent for the year. Yeah, and that's. Where sometimes investors, like it's like clients and stuff, get a little thrown off because they try and weigh their accounts against the S and P five hundred only, because it is the largest. It's the five hundred largest companies. It is a good metric to kind of see how the economy is doing, how the market's doing. But if you have a balanced account, you're not going to be one hundred percent in the S and P five hundred because you just can't be. Because what if the S and P did what it did last year, or went down roughly twenty percent? You're going to be down twenty percent, which you can't stomach. That's why you are in a balanced portfolio. But you can't expect to get all of the S&P 500 returns if they if it increases just because of that. Probably the biggest story this week was Disney, I think. Uh, that that uh, There are other great stories, but uh, CPI and all. But the Disney earnings report was interesting. It was uh, confusing. It was multifaceted. Uh, there are so many moving parts at Disney. They have the theme parks. Uh, in the United States, they have the theme parks in Europe. They have the theme parks in Asia, which are now just now getting into the reopening phase of Asia, who shut down for longer than we can even imagine. Mm -hmm. They have their cruise line. And, of course, we know with cruise lines, they've struggled because they've had to give away so much to get their business back. But now they seem to be booming. And they've got their streaming service, Disney. And during the pandemic, when the parks were closed and the cruise lines were shut down, the streaming service was carrying them. Exploded. Yeah, it just exploded. Took, they took the nostalgia aspect and just ran with it, and everybody loves it. Everybody loved it. Even with subscribers dropping, uh, the revenue still went up because they started charging more for it. 
I'm yes. Like, but you're still going to have it. I mean, I still got Disney. I'm not going to get rid of it. It goes up a dollar for us. It makes them a lot of extra money. Stock was down 10% at the open on Thursday, which sent the Dow down 400 points on Thursday, uh, primarily as a result of Disney. Again, they reported a, de- a decline in that streaming business, albeit at higher prices. Uh, so the streaming business was fine. Yep. Uh, there's a couple of reasons for the decline in, in the streaming business. Uh, probably the primary one is uh, people are able to go outside now. And, and uh, they're saying, wait, wait a second, we're paying X number of dollars for that, and the kids are over at the park or riding their bike or on their skateboard. Or I think we- the issue they're going to see going forward is if they don't, like if we say we hit a recession, say the economy tanks and everything, their park prices are just skyrocketing. People aren't going to go to the parks. Those vacations aren't going to happen if you're hurting in the pocket. Mm-hmm. But they just keep raising the park prices. They don't care. I think that's going to get hit hard. I was I was very surprised. I think I mentioned a, a few months ago on the uh, going to Universal Studios. Uh, uh, my wife and my uh, daughter and my two grandchildren. It's like it was some ridiculous. I can't even remember what it was. Five like five hundred bucks for yeah. for the day. It was, I, and that's what? just basic. I mean, if you get like the uh, the fast passes and all, you're spending like a grand right. just for that stuff. Right. And what they're doing uh, over there, which is kind of smart, is is they're giving these uh, a long term passes. If you want like a one month pass or a one year pass. Uh, it's uh, let's say for a day I spent five hundred dollars, but I might for eight hundred dollars be able to buy a, a pass for the whole year. Mm-hmm. So all of the residents over there are getting really good deals, mm-hmm. and those of us who are visiting are paying for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my brother had the annual pass when he lived in L.A. to Disneyland, and it was he's, it was so much cheaper for him. Yeah, because he would yeah. go six times a year. Probably it's not that far from him. And you see a stock like Disney drop like it did, and, and of course, your, your number one thought is, boy, maybe I ought to buy that. You know, that's, a, that's really cheap. I've been doing this a long time. When you see a, a major stock like that do a big drop, 10 12%, uh, you may, you're probably going to get a bounce, but there is more downside typically. Uh, we saw that with Airbnb. Airbnb dropped a ten percent on earnings. Uh, then they bounced back three or four points uh, down another. Then down another ten. I think Disney probably is going to go under ninety. Uh, it got down to ninety one. I think it was on Friday. Yeah. I think we're probably going to be in the mid eighties on Disney before it looks attractive. It takes time because Apple did the same thing uh, about a year and a half ago. Now it dropped twenty points because of news that came out. It dropped. It was at like one eighty. And it dropped. It was dropping slowly, and then it just had a day where it dropped to 150. And I remember you telling me the exact same thing, and it kind of stuck around there. Then it went to 140, and now look, it took about a year and a half, but now it's back at about 170 range. Yeah. So it does take some time, but if it is a good company, look for the buying opportunities. But it might take a little more time than you think. Yeah, I think I think just as a, as a rule of thumb, when you see a stock drop big like that, don't be a buyer. Uh, yeah. Be patient. Be patient. It, 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 there might be a bounce back, might be a, a, a 5 10% bounce back, but there's almost always a lower low. Yeah. And, and the stock uh, like that, like, like Disney is a good example, it's probably going to take three, four, five months for it to stabilize. Exactly. And it's going to stabilize at lower levels. I think you buy Disney, you can buy Disney probably in the mid to low 80s in the next couple of months. Yeah. If you're looking to buy stuff like that, it's for the longer term is what we're talking about, a long-term investment, not so much like that swing trade or day trade or something like that. So that's why we're saying be patient. You don't have to make a rash decision just because it dropped 10% in one day. You also don't have to be perfect. There's something called dollar cost averaging yep. where you can 
if you have want to put two thousand dollars into a company divide that up by two put a thousand right now and then wait another month and then put a thousand in you might get a better price you might not but either way you diversify your timing that's um, a very good point out if you were going to buy a hundred shares of disney it's okay to buy 25 here right it's okay i don't know where the bottom is right um it may be it may be on friday i don't think it was but it's, it could be and the minute you get skin in the game you pay more attention to it it's true. And you have more invested in it, obviously. And it's just, then you start seeing, okay, it goes up a little bit. You're like, all right, at least I got 25 shares. If it goes down, you're like, I'm going to buy 25 more. I have something interesting. We talk about inflation and prices going higher. I received my annual car insurance bill the other mm. day, and I was absolutely shocked. It was 25% higher. Anthony told us that. So I called Anthony, and I said, Anthony, what's happening here? And he, he shopped around for me. And he and uh, he found me an auto insurance policy with a major company uh, that is fifty percent the premium that I was going to be charged for my renewal. And I said, "How is that possible?" And he said, "Different companies are looking for different things. Like there's certain companies that want to insure vans. If you got a van, you're going to get a better deal. There's certain companies want to insure RVs." You know, in my particular case, this company that, oh, it's Progressive. Uh, progressive wants older people with high credit scores. Hmm. That's their primary thing. He said, with Progressive, credit is more important than anything. That's uh, fascinating because I, I also went to Anthony because I was going to have a 20% increase in my premium. And then what I ended up going was Progressive. And I, you went with Progressive I as ended well. up there going to Progressive, and it was it was actually, I think, 10% cheaper than what I was paying before, even yeah, before the 20% increase. really young, too, because I got Progressive as well, and I've had it since Anthony got it for me a couple of years ago. I, you know, yeah. they might oh. just have the best prices right now, but I know it was cheaper yeah. than what I was before I was paying. So The, the point of this is if you uh, shop everything. Right. If you, if you get an auto insurance, like I have an umbrella policy, too. I have a house insurance. I have car insurance. When you get these bills, so many of these companies are charged with the market will bear, uh, and everybody expects higher prices, so let's just jack it up here. Uh-huh. And you know, uh, and that relates to our business as well. Like, since we're an independent investing firm, we can, in a sense, it's not shop the market, but we have options to customize your portfolio a lot more. We're not a fidelity. We're not a high, a big wirehouse where we're kind of constrained to the house in proprietary funds. We can go use any funds, any stock, any bond, any. Tre- we get treasuries. We get that. We can go to any annuity. We work with an independent. Um, Middleman, yeah, IMO, to get annuities, and we find the best annuity that would work if it works for your situation. So we don't, and we're not constrained. The same kind of idea. We had uh, you guys had an appointment with a gal, and I sat in on it because you needed some white hair in the meeting. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think that's the only reason I was there. Um, and uh, she asked a really interesting question. She asked, uh, "Do you have any particular products that you like to sell? Exactly. Do you have any particular products that you lean towards?" And the answer is no. It's all about the individual situation. We're not selling anything. Yeah. We are selling. honest to God not selling anything. I guess the only thing we could be selling is a free financial plan. <laughs> well, you can't <laughs> sell it if it's free, right? I guess not. But. No, you're giving it away. But uh, <laughs> I mean, literally, uh, I, we don't sell anything. Here. Right. Yeah. We're all about helping. And that is why we do. The, we offer the financial plan free because we just want to have you. We want to help you create the financial plan get you your current picture, show you what if scenarios about what you can do to maybe change something if you're not going down the route that you want to be or maybe you can't retire when you thought you could, how do we help change it? Or it's also on the other end where your retirement's in your hands and you were showing you 
you can retire whenever you want. We had a guy come in earlier this week that he was thinking, I mean, he likes to work, but he's like, I think I got to work past 70. He's about 60 right now. We showed him, we did the whole financial plan. We're showing him the ideas that we came up with, and we're like, you can actually retire at 63 a lot earlier than you want. Your retirement is kind of in your hands, so it's more up to you when you want to retire. It's not necessarily you have to work for another 10 years, so you can retire how you want. You set yourself up already. But he didn't have that idea. He didn't know it until we created the financial plan. Yeah, and that's what, that's the kind of thing you guys do. And uh, I was uh, I was looking at uh, um, electric cars. You know, we can't go we can't go a week without mm-hmm. talking about electric cars because there's so much news about electric cars. Um, there was news on Fisker. Now we talked. We kind of joked about this. You know, you know, hey, you gotta come over and see my new electric car. Oh, where'd you get? I got a Fisker. What? <laughs> you got a what? <laughs> Two years ago, uh, Fisker was thirty-two dollars a share. Tuesday, it dropped from six fifty a share to five fifty a share, and that's not hundred. That's dollars, <laughs> six dollars and fifty cents. Uh, after reporting a larger than expected loss, Lucid also reported disappointing results, sending that stock from eight dollars to seven dollars. And it struck me again: one of the concerns about buying an electric vehicle is what if the company disappears? What if they're just simply not there? Mm. Uh, you've got this $100,000, $125,000 electric vehicle, and you want service on it. Where are you going to go? Right. Because the company that built the car that provides the service is gone. Yeah, I if think that company's gone, you're not going to have a bunch of mechanic shops fighting to be able to fix that car because they're not going to, they're going to have to probably get different stuff and learn different rules or ways to fix cars for that. But if they don't even have the company anymore. Yeah, it's just it's just something that we're we're so early in that in this process. It's it, I think that's a potential. Well, talking, I think you've really got to be careful there, right? And I I thought I saw an interesting article about Porsche. Uh, they bet a hundred Porsche. Porsche. Mm-hmm. It's pronounced Porsche. It's French. That's French. German Porsche. I'm gonna say Porsche. It sounds oh. it sounds elitist to say Porsche, but it actually is pronounced Porsche. Well, and if you say Porsche, then you don't, don't know the, you don't know the name of the car. But anyways, hundred million dollar bet. On e fuel, you heard of this? Yes, absolutely. E fuel. So they're like, you know what? We think that some people want to keep their sports cars. Some people want to keep those gasoline as collectibles and all that. So that, and obviously, eventually, we're going to have standards on not having old gasoline as available. So we're going to have to make it more clean. And that's kind of the idea. What they're saying: e fuels are the alternative to conventional liquid fuels and are de- ideally suited to reduce CO2 emissions in the transport and heating market. After processing in refineries, e-fuels, e-fuels can be used as e-gasoline to replace conventional fuels. Yeah, they're going all in on this. I mean, yeah. they're, they're really putting out some serious dollars on it, and, and uh, they believe that this is probably the better alternative to electric vehicles. Is How about you have uh, zero-emission gasoline? It's an interesting thought. Kind of an interesting thought. It, re- it really is. Um, down the, Going down that path, uh, Plug Power, uh, it's a hydrogen fuel company. And it's down, uh, interestingly, it's down 50% in the last 12 months, lost another 14% on Tuesday, hit a three-year low, Todd, after reporting a disappointing quarter due to a spike in the price of hydrogen. Right? While the current price of hydrogen is higher than gasoline, right, fuel cells are approximately 2.5 times more efficient. So if it's a little bit more expensive, but it's two and a half times more efficient, pretty well, good deal, right? Back, yeah. An added bonus is that most fuel cell cars, the manufacturers right now are including three years worth of free fuel with the vehicle. 
I'm thinking, hmm, I can get a hydrogen car, three years worth of free fuel. So I'm thinking, well, who makes hydrogen cars? Right? Because I'm kind of a curious guy. Hmm. So right now there are two hydrogen cars on the market, Toyota M-I-R-A-I, Mirai, Mira, uh, whatever, and the Hyundai Nexo, the two hydrogen cars. Huh. So th then, you, then the curious guy asks, okay, let's say I go out and buy one of these hydrogen cars. Where do I refill? Right. Because right? I don't remember seeing a hydrogen fuel station I haven't seen as one. I'm driving around. <laughs> Turns out there are 60, 60 hydrogen refueling stations in the entire United States. Oh, goodness. I thought now, that's part one. Part two is 59 of them are in California. What? <laughs> yes. Wow. So you have to be in California. 60 <laughs> hydrogen refueling stations in, like in the LA. entire country. 59 of them are in Los Angeles. Where's the other one? I knew you'd ask that. <laughs> Hawaii. What? There's one in Hawaii. One hydrogen fueling station. So if you've got your Hyundai Nexo, uh, you better know where that station is, right? You better not be in Maui. Because I'm thinking that there's probably not a lot of ways to get a hydrogen fuel car to a uh, hydrogen station how without they, being told. How many vehicles have they sold? Don't know. It's got to be in California. Don't know. Do anything else. But yeah, it obviously outside of California makes no sense. I just thought it was interesting, yeah. uh, an interesting technology. And as I was reading, I thought, well, that maybe this has makes some sense. And well, speaking yeah. of interesting technologies, so I know we talked a little bit about Bitcoin earlier and um, not talking about the price action, just talking about the technology. Obviously, they work on a blockchain and there's a collaboration that's continually been progressive uh, between traditional finance and decentralized finance, right? And it's really interesting. I didn't know this, but Franklin Templeton, which is a global investment firm, recently announced that the first U.S. registered mutual fund will be on a, the Stellar blockchain. It's uh, it's it's going to earn four point five percent interest. So it sounds like kind of like a, it, it's basically buying U.S. Treasuries on the blockchain, uh, buying like a token of it. So I was like, hmm, that's a first time. It's 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 the world's first tokenized money fund. Mm. So I was, it's super interesting. I thought, um, and Franklin Templeton's not the only one. KKR uh, is is. Um, securitizing a token as part of their $4 billion healthcare growth fund on the Avalanche blockchain. And then Wisdom Tree, which is a big ETF issuer, has $90 billion in assets under management. It has nine blockchain funds and plans to launch a crypto wallet that allows anyone to trade tokenized assets like U.S. Treasuries and gold. And I looked a little further and they said, there's possibilities that one day we pay our utility bills and a lot of our bills using tokens. And things like that. And I, I had a hard time imagining it, but yeah. um, with technology the way it's going, I, I could I could bet on it. I can't imagine it, but I could I could surely bet that it could probably happen eventually. I think we all have a car in the in the garage that will do many, many, many more things than we have any idea or any need for. Uh, many, many features of the vehicle, of the technology in the vehicle that most of us have absolutely no knowledge of it all. Mm -hmm. So when you start to talk about this kind of technology, there's there's two parts to technology. There's one, the development of the technology, and then two, the adoption of the technology by the yeah. public. And and that's like, that's going to be a lot slower curve. Uh, this AI thing is exploding, and the average person out there wouldn't know what AI stood for. No, but the, the reason it is exploding is because hey, chatbots aren't new, right? Chatbots have been around. The reason it's now exploding is because me and you can just go on Google or ChatGPT and type in a thing, and it gives us the answer. 
before you actually had to write a code and know how to write code and then get the answer that way. No people, it's like when computers first came on board, it was a niche thing because no one knew how to work it. You had to be very technically advanced. The minute Steve Jobs eventually made it in the palm of your hand, all you had to do was touch a screen. What happens? Sure. Boom. Right. Yeah, so you're absolutely correct. It's the practical use that really matters, but it's, it all starts with, does it actually, can it actually technically work? And sure. then from there it can grow and see if it actually takes off. But the, the potential for good and bad in the internet is, uh, and I've said that probably the greatest thing in the 20th century and the worst thing in the 20th century, right? Uh, yeah. Was it was the internet. So, uh, and could AI say that, could be this, that for the 21st century. Right. You can say the same thing about the industrial revolution, right? Sure. Like it brought a lot of pollution, but it, it, it brought a lot of people out of poverty. Yeah. So how do you want to look at it? You pick your pessimism or optimism. <laughs> yeah, AI just, just has so many wonderful things that can be done and so many horrific things that can be done. Yep. It's, it's going to be interesting. I think controlling it, trying to control it is going to be the challenge. And uh, we need smart people in government that, that control that uh, uh if we if we don't want it to eat us alive yeah. we're coming to the end of the first segment of the second hour we'll be back with more information i've got dylan i got dean i got todd and uh, we thank you for listening on this mother's day version of the money matters show Welcome back to the Money Matters Show. My name is Todd Glick. I'm here with Dylan Greenberg and Dave Sherwood. And again, we keep harping on this one number because it's really important. The equal-weighted S&P 500 has returned year-to-date 0.2%. But the actual S&P 500, 7.4% year-to-date. It's really all you need to know because the big companies are leading the way. All the safe money is going that way, which shows that overall the economy is not working as good as what the S&P is saying it is. Right, and we harp on it because if you're looking at your portfolio and you're saying, gosh, the NASDAQ's up 17% and the S&P 500's up 8% and I'm only up 1%, you know, why is that? It's because it because the more diversified portfolio, the S&P 500 equal-weighted, the more accurate reading, really, of what the market's doing is the equal-weighted, and it's flat. Right. And interest rates have come down a little bit, so the bond segment of your portfolio is probably up a little bit. Uh, so all in all, maybe you're up 1% for the year. That's fine. Right. The uh, the, the beating of Carl Icahn that, uh, that started with the hedge fund uh, yeah. uh, continued. You may remember the stock plunged 40% a week ago as a Hindenburg short seller uh, published a report. First, they short the stock, right, which means you're selling stock you don't own. And uh, – you make money if the stock declines. So you sell the stock short. So now you're loaded up on this short sell and you put out a, a report saying that Carl Icahn's uh, valuations are all overvalued and the this, this stock's coming down and down the stock goes by 40%. So what do you do? Uh, this week you emphasize that. The regulators have asked to look at records now and Hindenburg comes out and said, yeah, see, we told you this is a, this is, uh, pie in the sky, blah, blah, and down it goes another 10%. So uh, Carl Icahn is, is in the crosshairs of this this hedge fund, and it's, it's it can't be a pretty place to be. Mm -mm. And it's it's unfortunate that it seems like it can almost, almost, almost be a setup. Yes. Right? Yeah. And it's like you can just be a victim of that setup. It's, it's Again, we've talked about that that, that shouldn't be allowed. No, right. we, we, we don't have a problem with short selling. Because you shouldn't short be selling, able to announce it. Short selling creates liquidity. 
but you shouldn't be able to go short and then publicize nationally right. that you've gone short because this is a slimy guy or right. a slimy operation. You should not be able to do that. Right. I mean, if someone has an influence on a stock, normally they're not able to actually invest in that stock until after that news comes out. Yeah. That's the, uh, one is part of the Congress. Then can unless you're part of Congress. <laughs> unless, you, unless you remember then Congress. You can do whatever you want. Then you're the like best that. stock like trader in the world. I like that. I like that. The, uh, one of my, one, uh, the poster child, one of my poster children from the, the pandemic is Novavax. And we've oh, talked yeah. about them on the show a number of times. This is a drug company who has never had a marketable product. Mm-hmm. They came up with a COVID vaccine in early 21 that sent the stock to $330 a share. Yeah, it should have went private right there. They couldn't get it ready for market <laughs> until the pandemic was over. And two years later, the stock's back to $5. It was $4. It went to 330 and then back to $5. This past week, it jumped $10. It jumped tripled after announcing a new vaccine candidate. Get this. It's going to be a combination flu and COVID shot. Mm. Now, Maybe it's just me, but is there really demand for more COVID protection? If you if you la- wrap it in a flu shot, I could see that because people want that peace of mind that they're actually doing something, whether it works or not. I think people like there's some people out there who says they always did their flu shot and now they think that they're always going to have to do a COVID shot. So if you merge them together, there you go. I guess it makes sense. Uh, it, make, it makes sense from a, from that standpoint. For a but very I, I do, select group of population. Yeah, I do hear an awfully lot of, of uh, whining and complaining about the vaccines now, you know, three years removed or two years removed. Um, on, and boy, it's done damage. There's a lot of people that are very suspicious today of the COVID vaccines. Now, yeah. in, in March of 21, we were lining up. You know, a lot, most of us, 80%. Yeah, well, got you know, some I've always been skeptical and uh, continue to be so, actually more so than ever. I mean, the evidence that's coming out on some of these things is fascinating to actually be reading about now after the fact. Um, and it's going to continue. We're going to continue to learn more about what actually went down in, in administering this at first and what are the effects long term. The uh, Warren Buffett had his uh, uh, weekend in Omaha last weekend. Uh, a week ago right now. And, and uh, so Monday morning we were dealing with uh, uh, Warren Buffett comments, uh, two major comments that came out. One was the, he still loves Apple, says it's the best yeah. stock they've ever owned. I wonder why. Um, you know, he has probably has an average price in the 80s and it's now 180 uh, or 170. So I'm, not, I'm sure it's one of the better investments he's ever made. But he also owns 25% of Occidental Petroleum. And they said they do not intend to uh, um, sell any of that. Uh, it's down 3% the rest of the year. They also do not intend to buy the rest of it. Yeah, it's super weird that he has bought so much of that. But Apple is really just like one of those companies I think about. There's so many cool things they could do. Like the virtual reality, that's one thing. They're they talk in a car. How about Apple car? car? Apple exactly. car. Come look at my new Apple car. Talk about, <laughs> I mean, like we were talking about that actually last week about the VR. Apple's VR, it just looks a lot sleeker. Like, everything they do is all about advertisement, and the whole goggle thing looks so much sleeker than Oculus and Meta. I think it's going to do well. And I think the biggest thing is is finance, right? Apple Pay, Apple Card, Apple Credit. I mean, think about it. People do everything from their phones, 
if they can eventually do finance through their phone. And most people trust Apple yeah. more than they do banks at this point. Well, they make right? it so convenient, too. It's like Amazon. Your card's on there. Your address is saved on there. Everything's saved on there. So you just click of a button. Apple Pay. All you got to do is tap your phone on these things, and it just makes it so convenient to pay. So it's good with that. And here I am, a, an old guy, and I, I use Apple Pay all the time. And if I go into a, a place that doesn't have Apple Pay, I go, oh, really? And let we me, talked let me, about... Let me see if I can find my credit card. We talked about that in the last segment, right? The practical use... And when you really have, you know, you have a debit card and you have this and you, what the phone does is it puts all that technology into one object, right? Think about what the phone is. It's a camera, right? It's a phone. It's also your pocketbook, your contact book. Now it could be your bank. I mean, there's everything, all these products that we used to have, we have to have one cer- one company provide a service for. Now it's Apple. I was in Winter Haven uh, last December uh, with a group and, uh, got to the uh, car after being at Winter Haven and realized that I had lost my uh, money clip, which has my credit card, my driver's license, and a couple hundred bucks. It was gone. I had obviously pulled my hand out to buy some popcorn or something, and then when I put it back in, I didn't hit it right, and it, it's gone. And my buddy said, well, th- at least it wasn't your cell phone. And I said, hey, good point. You know, isn't that funny? Yeah. You lost your credit card, your driver's license, and your money, and you thank God it wasn't yourself. Well, I mean, because in that sense, the only thing that you pretty much lost was cash. You can never find it again. The cards you just cancel, and the driver's license you reorder. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. That, that you say, well, thank goodness it wasn't your cell phone. Right. That could have been a real problem, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and the funny part about it is I, I, um, uh, Cancel. I, I got a new driver's license. Went online, got a new driver's license. Went online, canceled my credit card, and got a new one issued. And uh, two days later, I'm out working in my front yard, and I noticed that someone had actually found it and stuck it under the rocks by my front gate. Oh, that's pretty nice. The that money was everything the mo- in it. The whole thing. The ah, money, the credit person. card. The whole, uh, yeah, but the credit cards are worthless. The driver's license. You know, couldn't you made it? Maybe. But they still yeah. left the cash in there. The cash was still Good there. Person. Yeah, he, he, you know, and I understand what he was doing. He was wanting to make sure, or he or she was wanting to make sure that uh, no one took it, you know, because it is cash, credit card, driver's license. I wanted to hide it so no one would take it. The problem is they hid it from me. Yeah. <laughs> I know. You think they would knock on your door? Yeah, they probably did. I wasn't home. Oh, you just I was at Winter Haven. <laughs> oh, the same night. Yeah, it was the same night. It, uh, obviously, the same night. Yeah, I, I say obviously. Uh, two days later is when I found it. On a, on a, we want to think on a Wednesday and it was on a Saturday. I was working in my front yard. Oh, there. What, what's this? <laughs> and there it was. Uh, earnings this week. I mean, it's just uh, a lot of, of big movements uh, uh, up and down. Uh, not so much up as down. But, I mean, it, with Disney was a good example. Um, Wynn Resorts. Wynn came out with a fantastic report. Um, their Las Vegas operation, which is now a minority of the business. They're mostly in Macau. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, their Las Vegas business was at record levels. And Macau, uh, the, the CEO said, there is a meaningful return of visitation and demand. Yep. I mean, that's pretty significant. And, and the stock takes a header. <laughs> down three percent but we saw disney uh, we talked about earlier down ten percent um it, it on and on and on uh with the companies that reported good earnings good revenue good earnings but lower guidance that was a and common theme this issue. week wasn't it yep as always becomes the issue once they start talking on their earnings call if they have a bleak outlook for the future then that's when the stock turns but i i think it's also funny that because the companies who reported really bad earnings all they have to say is like, 
oh, it's it's going to be really good after the second half. Don't worry about it. And then the the stock pops, even though they had bad earnings. I mean, I've seen a couple companies where, I mean, they reported really bad earnings, but they just had some good guidance and stock pops. I probably could find uh, uh, 25 stocks last week that had uh, revenue and earnings that were as good or better than expected, but weak guidance. And they took a 10% drop. Right. I mean, I had to have been at least 25 of it's them. It's all about guidance right it's now. It's because the market moves about, it's looking out six months in advance roughly. So that's why it drops like that. That's a good point. The market does try to look out six months in advance. How about Beyond Meat? Uh, remember Beyond Meat that was going to take over the world? Um, yeah. And then we all realized that it's not as healthy as <laughs> regular meat <laughs> because of all the sodium in it? Yep. Uh, the the uh, the stock's down 60% in the last 12 months, dropped another 15% on Thursday to a new all-time low. All-time low. After announcing a dilutive $200 million stock offering. Remember back in 2019, that stock was $240 a share. Now it's under 10 bucks. Wow. 240 to under what 10 bucks. What year was that? It was uh, 2019. Yeah. 2019. And the, when it first came out, because it did sound like it makes sense. Oh, my goodness, a, a, a non-meat uh, alternative. Uh, obviously, vegetarians, great for vegetarians. It is, but there's not that many vegetarians compared to meat eaters. And the no, meat I, eater was, like, like you said, I mean, it's an alternative, but it's not going to be as good as regular meat. I found myself, I was ordering it pretty regularly, and then I started to, because I'm a curious guy, right? I, I, started, I started looking, and it's not very healthy. It certainly isn't more healthy than than red meat yeah it's it's now the niche alternative if you're a vegetarian something that a lot of people have been taking advantage of well i was just going to say the record on money markets is record 5.3 trillion dollars in the weekend of may 3rd i mean the bank run is continuing to accelerate and why why because the interest rates yeah five percent on a vanguard money market fund it's amazing we'll be back with our mother's day edition of the money matter show right after this break Welcome back, everyone, to the Mother's Day. It's hard to say. Mother's Day Money Matter Show. It's a lot of M's. There's a lot of M's in there. We appreciate all of the things that the mothers do. Uh, without them, we wouldn't be here. That's a fact. You know what you need if you have M's, right? What? An estate plan. <laughs> I like it. I like and it. We have just the man for you, our estate planner. And, um, not under Greenberg Financial. Has his own business, but happens to work under the same roof as us. Jonathan Sibilia joins us here. Um, it's been an interesting thing as a lot of people, they don't understand the step-up basis side of estate planning. And it's one of those things that no one really talks about. So can you give us some information on what exactly is a step-up, what occurs, what happens? Sure, 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 sure. Well, uh, uh, happy Mother's Day to all the mothers out there. Absolutely. Uh, um, so step-up basis is probably one of the biggest tax loopholes for the middle class. Isn't it? Absolutely. So step, when you buy an asset, that value is what basis is your basis in that asset. When you sell it at fair market value, the difference between that basis and that value is what you, if it was an investment, what you'll pay taxes on. All right. So, um, a lot of times, uh, you know, as an estate planner, I find myself down in the recorder's office and I'll, you know, I'm recording a deed and there's someone at the next window and it's probably, you know, a little lady or a little man and they want to uh, gift their children their assets. Um, not their assets, but their house. Uh, and they're 
getting a deed and they're transferring that deed to their to their children. The problem with that is if you start giving away your assets, according to the tax law, you don't get a step up in basis. Now they you're transferring that basis to that child by gifting it. Now a step up in basis is if you bought, let's say, Apple stock for five dollars um, and you sold it for a uh, hundred dollars. There's a $95 gain. You're going to pay tax on that $95. If you pass away with that Apple stock and it goes to your children, they get that uh, the Apple stock at $100. And if they turn around the next day, they sell it, they pay no taxes. So basically, there's a step up in basis there at the death of the owner. Um, what happens a lot of times is, you know, people who may be a little unsophisticated when it comes to the tax laws is that they don't know that and they'll give away, you know, their stock or their house before they pass away, maybe for to qualify for Medicaid, or maybe they just want to get it out of their estate altogether. Um, just to, you know, for, for what matters, I don't know a lot of time. And when they do that, they lose that basis. They lose that. And, you know, if you bought that house for a hundred thousand dollars and it's worth $500,000 and you gift it to your child, you may have given them, a you know a hundred thousand dollar tax bill when if you would have held on to it for a few more years maybe passed away and they got it for five hundred thousand dollars and they sold it no capital gains we have a, a client a 93 year old client who had some uh, bought some uh, yum brands years ago and it spun off yum china and <laughs> yum may not have uh, most people don't know this but yum brands which is the chicken essentially has just been killing it in china just been killing it and this stock that had a unrealized gain of over a hundred thousand dollars and whenever she needed money for living expenses we would sell something other than the young brands uh, she passed away about three weeks ago and her heirs uh, inherited that young brands with no gain the hundred thousand dollar capital gain is gone it's gone and we could have very easily sold that to raise money when she was needing money for various things. We could have very easily sold that asset. And she would have had, again, you talked about the house, Jonathan. Um, a couple buys a house for $150,000. And now it's worth $500,000, $350,000 capital gain. They gift that house to their children. The children inherit that $350,000 capital gain. Exactly. If they simply hold on to it, until they die, that $350,000 capital gain disappears. It's gone. Is there any a time that the step-up doesn't happen? Uh, well, just like uh, we were alluding to, is that if you gift it away, there is no step-up in basis. Uh, but when you pass away, all your assets get that step-up to fair market value. So that's why a lot of times when people pass away, they get an, uh, they get an appraisal on that real estate um, at the date of death. So they know what the basis is at that moment. And hopefully, you know, you, sometimes you don't need to do an appraisal as long as you sell that house within six months of, of death. But, you know, if you pass away um, and you have stocks, you know, you'll call your financial advisors and they'll run a report and they'll say, OK, this is what it was when they passed away. And that's what the new basis is. Um, and then you'll give that information to the CPA. These the CPA will. Uh, figure it out, and uh, when they eventually do sell it, the estate sells it, the new heirs sell it, um, that date of death value will be the new basis. Uh, and, it's and it's interesting that you had mentioned um, 
you know, I used to work for a CPA firm and one of the last clients I worked, worked for, I was doing a 1041, which is an estate return, uh, for the heirs and they inherited the dad had Apple stock, a million dollars worth. Wow. He bought it at almost 25 cents a share back in the 80s. <laughs> Holy cow. And he just hang, hung on to it forever. Took $5,000 out. I forgot what, exactly how much it was. It wasn't a lot of money. It's $5,000, about 25 cents a share. <sighs> and the girls got it at a million bucks, and they sold it the next day and paid zero in taxes because he held on to it till he passed away. No gain. No gain. And a good financial advisor, will, when they find out about the death, will do that automatically. We'll just do that automatically. Um, sometimes you'll have to ask a financial advisor, but generally speaking, uh, a good financial advisor will, will do that immediately because they know that's what the, the, the rule is. And yay, you know, you, you're excited about that. Biden, Biden was uh, going on and on about that when he first got elected. Uh, the capital gained a, a loophole, was, was trying to figure out ways to uh, close it and, and got so much pushback that I haven't heard a word about it in the last couple of years. But it's a fairly major thing. Oh, it's a it's a wonderful thing, and it's one of the be- best things that's happened to I believe the middle class, and I don't ever want to see it go away. Uh, both sides, uh, depending on what happens with the estate tax, it could go away, um, but hopefully, you know, they stay coarse because it only benefit it benefits us the most. And because we're a community property state, if I'm not mistaken, when uh, a couple when one one of them dies, they get a full step up. Exactly at that the date of death. Community property, yes, yeah. they have to be married. Right, correct. right. So and this. So, this shouldn't be conf- like because with IRAs, it it differs a little bit. I mean, you still get the step up, right? But th- an IRA, no, there's no there's no cost. I, I mean, on an IRA, right? What I'm saying is, you still have to pay the taxes because it's 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 qual- it hasn't you haven't paid the taxes on it. So the new people that inherit it, other than the spouse, right? The spouse doesn't have to or something like that. So um, yeah, there's no step up on basis basis typically on retirement accounts because there is um, because yeah. right there, there is no basis. There's they're contractual in nature, and um, they're a lot of them are deferred tax vehicles. So you they, they come on your W two, uh, you don't pay taxes on it, so, but they expect you to pay taxes on it. Houses, you know, uh, stocks, those are investments, you know, right. and uh, and that's what we uh, and, and that's what gets the luxury of the step up in basis. You, with a retirement account, uh, you can you can quadruple it or lose it all. They don't care. Right. The only tax you're ever going to face is when you make a withdrawal. When you withdraw exactly, um, and you, again, you can't step up a, a basis that doesn't exist. Exactly. And for okay. listeners that don't know, retirement accounts can also be referred to as qualified accounts. And why why do we call them qualified accounts? Because you, you remember? No, I you said it. You know, you said it elegantly. Qualified for protection under ERISA. Okay, that that's why they're called sense. qualified. Because I'm a curious guy. Yeah. <laughs> well, and with that though, you make me curious you about you. An IRA, you don't have to step up, but you have ten years to withdraw it, unless it rolls to your spouse. Yes, unless it rolls to your spouse. Correct. Yeah, the spouse doesn't have that same rules, uh, but the, you're, you're absolutely right. Anybody else does too, but that also goes for a Roth IRA. You won't have to pay taxes on the RMD in a Roth IRA, but an inherited Roth IRA, you need to liquidate within ten years. And that's relatively new. That is pretty like new. That's the last, two years old. Yeah, eighteen like months that, or so. Yeah. Yeah, relatively new. Yes, and uh, I, I do want to mention that you need to have a beneficiary on there because if you don't, the IRS is going to make you pull it, over, pull it out over five years. And mm. if the spouse is surviving uh, and they are the only beneficiary of the estate, now we're forced to get a private letter ruling from the IRS to have a tax-free rollover. And you have to basically beg the IRS for some sort of leeway. Once in a while, someone can't decide who to make the beneficiary in their IRA, so they make it their estate. 
Yes. What is does that have special rules? I'm kind of uh, uh, blindsiding you here on this one, but uh, does the estate then then you'd open up an estate account, a state IRA, and does that have the ten year payout requirement as well? Dylan, do you know? Payout. Estate. The estate IRA. I would have no idea. So I. So think- I don't know. All I know is the one, the tenure. Well, there's some homework for us. I'm going to have to double indeed. check because I, I do believe that there needs to be a beneficiary designated, but then I think to myself whether or not there needs to be an actual individual on there. Um, I think it would qualify for the 10 years, but don't quote me. Yeah, there does not have to be an individual. I know that for a fact. It can be. It your, can it be. Can be what we, do know, what yeah. we do know is that it doesn't have to do the 10 years if it's a spouse. If it's a non-spouse, it has to be 10 years. So maybe the trust falls under that. You would or think. Would think. Falls under we'll that. we'll yeah, have to do our homework, and we'll talk about that next week. Exactly. And the, to answer your question, or if it was a question, uh, yes, the trust can be, but you need to have that trust properly drafted for it to qualify for the 10 years. There's a lot, a lot of different rules, and Jonathan's here to help you, and uh, first consultation is free. Uh, we, we love having Jonathan here in the office. Uh, helps us with a lot of our own individual questions mm-hmm. day-to-day. And, uh, and, again, he's available if you need a will, if you need a trust, if you need your will or trust reviewed. Whatever it is, uh, Jonathan's happy to help you. And just, just give a give us a call at 520-544-4909, and we'll get you set up with Jonathan. Uh, we appreciate your listening to us. We're coming to the end of the show. And uh, Jonathan, uh, Todd, Dean, Dylan, thank you for helping with this Mother's Day edition right. of the Money Matters show. It all started with the mothers. It happy all started mothers with the mothers. Day. Absolutely. It all started with the mothers, and we appreciate them. Um, we know that the thing that we want to all want to be on a day-to-day basis is happy of course and the older i get the more important i know it is to be healthy right but a greenberg financial what we're trying to be from day to day is profitable, profitable. see you next week